Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. We're pressing on through our study in Genesis, and today we're going to be getting into Genesis chapter 39. Once again, I'm glad that you've taken the time to meet me here, and I trust that these Bible studies are beneficial to you. My desire is to encourage those of you who are Christians, and for any who are listening and you've not come to a saving faith in Christ, my desire is to give you the gospel. So with that said, let's get into our study today, beginning in Genesis chapter 39, verse 1. The Word of God. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he made him overseer of the house and all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was 
on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had, except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept anything back from me but you, because you are his wife. Now then, can I do this great, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men were none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. So it was when his master heard these words, which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. As far as the reading of God's word, may he bless its reading and its hearing. So as we take a look at verses 1 through 6, we find we're back on the story of Joseph. And you may recall from the previous episode, chapter 38, focused on the life of Judah. But now the unfolding drama returns us to Joseph. And you may also remember at this point that Joseph was sold to Potiphar. Potiphar's name means he whom the sun god Ra has given We also talked about the word officer, and we noted that it's taken from a Hebrew word, which could mean eunuch. And there may be a number of reasons that ancient cultures had eunuchs, and I'm not going to get into all of those reasons here. But that said, this word could also mean chamberlain. 
And being a captain of the guard, as we also discussed, it implies that Potiphar was in charge of Pharaoh's executioners. But what I will point out is that if indeed Potiphar was a eunuch, it would be unusual for him to have a wife. If Potiphar was a chamberlain, if we go with that word, this does not mean that he had to be a eunuch. So, of course, if we just go with the words <laughs> officer, uh, that's actually in the word of God, or you could say Chamberlain, then we may assume that Mr. and Mrs. Potiphar um, had every reason for a normal and uh, normal husband and wife relationship. So it's not beyond the reach of possibilities that Pharaoh would have given Potiphar a wife as a gift or even a sign of Potiphar's status. And later on, we're going to see that Pharaoh actually does this same thing for Joseph. So it's not an unreasonable thing for the Pharaoh to actually arrange a marriage for one of his officers. So if Mrs. Potiphar was in this marriage against her will, we might have some motivation for her uh, casting longing eyes, as it says, upon Joseph. Regardless of the situation, Mrs. Potiphar is not justified in her advances toward Joseph, about which we just read. So, as we turn our attention toward Joseph in these first six verses, notice that he was placed in positions of greater and greater responsibility. And there's a phrase in verse 2, which is a recurring theme throughout this story, and I tried to put some emphasis on it as I was reading. It would say, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And verse 3 tells us that even the Egyptian Potiphar could see the evidence of God's hand upon Jodas. I'm sorry, Joseph. So we're talking about Joseph here today. <laughs> um, but you'll also notice that there's the all capitals, the all caps spelling of the word Lord in some translations. And as I pointed out before, this is the English editor's attempt to let you know that the word here is actually Yahweh or Adonai. And so the reason I point these things out to you is these phrases like the Lord was with Joseph. That's not here by accident. And what we're what's being communicated to us in God's word is that even though there's all these circumstances going on around Joseph, this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph, meaning that everything we've seen here, everything that Joseph's hand touched, prospered. God did not forget Joseph. God was a comfort to Joseph, and he blessed everything that Joseph did. And we're going to see several major events in Joseph's life, which are going to shape him, and they're going to give him hard lessons in humility. The first one, as we've already seen, was Joseph being sold into slavery to begin with. And now we're about to see the next major lesson in humility. He's going to be accused of a crime that he did not commit. And before we get there, though, let's point out a few things. Uh, bosses like to have people of integrity working for them or working with them. And I would just remind you, when God gives you the position, no matter what it is, use it to bring glory and honor to him. 
You can be a witness to those who are above you. You can be a witness to those who are below you if you're in a supervisory position. And just as an example, I was asked one time by someone in the military who outranked me what my secret was. And I said, what secret? (laughs) And this officer began to tell me how he had observed me with my wife. He had observed me when my wife was not present. And he, being divorced, wanted to know what was the secret to keeping a marriage together especially in the military and what an opportunity I had. And so I was a little bit nervous, but I stated that the only reason my wife and I were still together was because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can tell you, I stand by that to this very day. I told him that I had to give credit where credit was due and it was not me. It was all 100% God. And my point is this, God has you where he does, whether you're at work, at school, with the family, with friends, wherever you are, so that you will live in integrity and be a witness for him. And make sure that when you're asked, you give the answer that reflects glory upon your Savior and live your life in a way that reflects glory upon your Savior. And as a Christian, you should be the best worker your boss has. And when he or she asks you about your performance, Honor God, and he will honor you. And this is apparently the situation that Joseph is in. You know, Joseph Joseph could have allowed himself to develop a serious attitude problem. At 17, he was sold into slavery. But you know what? He didn't give up. He could have given up, and it would have been very depressing. I cannot even imagine the homesickness, the heartbreak. I'm never going to see my father again. You know, his brothers had rejected him, and, you know, he probably thought— Dreams are no dreams. I'm never going to see my father again. And Joseph could have refused to do anything that Potiphar commanded, uh, even though there would have been consequences. You know, Joseph could have just said, I don't really care. Kill me if you want to. I'm not going to be your slave. But Joseph didn't do that. That would have been a normal and understandable human reaction. But Joseph did his work with honor. And Potiphar saw in Joseph integrity, so much so that Joseph was running the whole house. And verse 4 tells us that Potiphar had put everything under Joseph's authority. And verse 6 tells us that Potiphar did not even know what he had except the bread that he ate. And this is my insert. The Bible doesn't say this, but even the food that he ate was probably presented to him under the very direct supervision of Joseph. And Potiphar completely turned the business of the house and everything over to Joseph. Imagine the trust. Imagine such responsibility. This is an officer of Pharaoh. And you're in his house running all the affairs. And it's also worthy of note that the Lord prospered all of Potiphar's house because of Joseph. So, dear Christians, I want to take a pause here for just a minute. I want you to follow a train of thought with me and stay with me and don't get lost. It might seem that I'm wandering a little bit, but I want you to stay with me because I will bring it together. You see, what we learn from Joseph being in Potiphar's house is that even those outside the covenant 
can be blessed by their association with those who are covenant people. Potiphar was not part of the chosen covenant family. Joseph was. But Joseph was working in Potiphar's house as a slave, and God was even blessing Potiphar's house for the sake of Joseph. And for those of you who've listened to me for a while, you know that I am reformed in my view of soteriology. Don't let those words scare you. Soteriology, let me just explain it this way. I believe without question that God elects those who are saved. You did not choose him. He chose you. (laughs) And Jesus said that to his own disciples. So in addition to what I believe about salvation, I also believe that historically many non-Christians have been blessed by their association with Christians who are by definition people of the new covenant of God in Christ. So I would argue that all of Western culture, even though it's very secular today, has experienced great peace, justice, prosperity, international influence, blessing, creativity, education, and the liberties that we enjoy in the West. It's because of the West's association with Christianity. Now, I would even go so far as to say that the whole West has pretty much been a place of protection for Christians. But notice what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that the West was or is Christian. I'm merely pointing out that this house, if you will, has enjoyed all the blessings of being among God's covenant people who are Christians. And as we see the decline of Western culture today, you might notice that it's going hand in hand with the West's complete rejection of Christ and its acceptance of all kinds of perversion and deviant behavior. And now that is being called normal. And as I typed out these notes, I typed these notes out on January 8th, 2022. On January 8th, 2022, our neighbor to the north, Canada, has passed a bill, C-4, which now makes it illegal to practice what is called conversion therapy for those who are homosexual, bisexual, transgender, or experiencing some form of sexual dysphoria. This bill, which has become law today, or actually on January 8th, but it is law in Canada today, it criminalizes, and I quote, this is a quote, causing another person to undergo conversion therapy. It also makes, and this is another quote from the law, promoting or advertising conversion therapy. It makes that illegal. And you think, well, what is conversion therapy? Well, Canadian law now defines conversion therapy as, and this is again another quote from the law, a practice, treatment, or service designed to change a person's sexual orientation to heterosexual. Change a person's gender identity to cisgender. Change a person's gender expression so that it conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth. Repress 
or reduced non-heterosexual attraction or sexual behavior repress a person's non-cisgender gender identity or repress or reduce a person's gender expression that does not conform to the sex assigned to the person at birth. The preamble of the bill states in part, and here's another quote for you, the belief that, quote, heterosexuality, cisgender gender identity, and gender expression that conforms to the sex assigned to the person at birth are to be preferred over other sexual orientations, gender identities, and gender expressions is a myth. It's a myth. In other words, if you're Canadian and you believe that whatever sex a person is or was born as is what they should be and will always be, no matter how much the individual denies it and attempts to change it, you now legally believe in a myth. You need to consider what's being put into law here, folks. And think about the implications of this. So now, according to Canadian law, as of January 8th, 2022, the belief in God's design for marriage and God's design for sexuality is now a myth. And this law is purposefully broad uh, with its definitions and this law, <clears throat> excuse me, will be used against Christian preachers and elders who speak out against homosexual or transgender sin. Sin against God. So if a pastor counsels someone to follow the teachings of Christ, to follow the teachings of the Bible, at least when it comes to this topic, they could face prosecution. And I'm going to read you one last quote from the Canadian law. And here it is. Everyone who knowingly causes another person to undergo conversion therapy, including by providing conversion therapy to that other person, is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than five years. Everyone who knowingly promotes or advertises conversion therapy is guilty of an indictable offense and liable to imprisonment for a term of not more than two years. So to any Christian, or I'm sorry, to any non-Christian, any non-Christian that happens to be listening to this episode, I would simply say this, you may believe in a myth yourself the myth of neutrality, even though Christ states that you are either with him or against him. And you might believe that the state is or the state should be neutral. My friends, no one is neutral. And the reason I'm telling you that no one is neutral is because Jesus himself said, no one is neutral. God said, no one is neutral. There's only two kinds of people in this world. There are the saved and the unsaved. And as a non-Christian, you may believe that you do not want Christians in the public square. You don't want Christian influence in the public square. But I would caution you that you're about to see what happens when you force 
Christians, when you force us out of the public square, when you remove us from public debate and the exchange of free thought, your culture will fall. In the words of Pastor Doug Wilson, he's a pastor from Moscow, Idaho, and this is what he said, if you didn't want Christians in the public square, you should not have crucified Jesus in the public square. And just as Pharaoh was not Lord, Caesar was not Lord, and the state is not Lord. No, dear listener, Jesus is Lord. And our culture would do well to learn a lesson from those in the past who were blessed because of their association with God's covenant people. And I would remind you that the whole of Western culture has been blessed because of Christian influence, just as Potiphar's house was blessed because a member of the covenant family found shelter within. So as we return and continue on through this chapter, we see that Potiphar is called the Egyptian. He's called the Egyptian three times. And this seems kind of silly to keep saying that since they are in Egypt. Why do you think this is mentioned in scripture like this? It could be the rulers of Egypt at this time were not Egyptian. But they could have been the Hyksos. The Hyksos dynasties line up well with the timeline, uh, with the story of Joseph as far as our timeline goes, keeping a biblical worldview of human history. And this would also explain the enslavement of Joseph's people by a new Pharaoh who came to power and the Bible says did not know Joseph. And you find this in the book of Exodus chapter 1 verse 8. Looking at verses 7 through 10, remaining in Genesis 39, we find that Potiphar's wife attempts to seduce Joseph. And the Bible says that she wanted Joseph to lie with her. Friends, she wasn't asking him to lie down and take a break and take a rest. Well, she might have been, but she wanted to have sex with him. She wanted sex with Joseph, but Joseph refuses. And why did he refuse? Well, it tells us here in the scriptures that he did not want to sin against God. See, he just took it right past the human level, and he said, if I do this, I'm sinning against God. I'm sinning against Pharaoh, or I'm sinning against Potiphar, my master. I'm sinning against you, his wife. But no, Joseph says, this is a sin against God. And we also see that he would not break his master's trust. And I've answered this next question in previous episodes, but I'll bring it up here once again. Why do you suppose that Joseph was saying that it was a sin against God? I would remind you that the Ten Commandments have not even been given yet. And yet Joseph knows that adultery is a sin. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because all humanity knows that it's wrong to violate the marriage covenant. The reason we all know this is because God has made it known to us in our hearts. And again, I would refer you to Romans chapter 1. So it was that Mrs. Potiphar keeps on coming after Joseph to the point where he's trying to not even be with her. 
which is a wise move. If someone's making a pass at you, <laughs> get away from them. Do what Joseph did or attempted to do. He tried to do. Do not allow yourself to be alone with that person. So as we look at verses 11 through 15, apparently she decides that if he will not give in, she will undress him. The timing was right. No one was around and she makes her move. And it may be possible that she even presented herself naked to Joseph or scantily clad, we might say. And regardless of the details, as she had his garment in her hand, he ran from her. Dear listener, we covered the book of James during the first season of this podcast, and I'd like to take you to a verse that we read during that study. James 4, verse 7, it states, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The word submit here requires a willing act of accepting the authority of God. We're under his authority, whether we want to submit to it or not, but submit means that I'm going to obey. And you know, it tells us here that to resist the devil and he will flee from you. And people often have the idea that Satan is equivalent uh, to God. Um, he's just on the opposite side. But listen, he is not equal in power. He is not equal in authority. He does not equal God. He's just the opposite. He's a created being. As Martin Luther said, even the devil is God's devil. So Satan might be powerful, but he is not invincible. And he runs, he flees from the saints who are wearing the armor of God if we resist him. So when you're tempted, the best thing you can do is run the other way. No matter what it looks like to others, run away. God knows what happened, and it may not look like it at first, but God will be faithful to you. So Mrs. Potiphar knows she's got to do something because she, she's now got Joseph's shirt, uh, which he left behind. And she knows it could be used as evidence against her as well. And so she yells rape or attempted rape, calling the men servants to her. And she tells them the story and no doubt she would play to their jealousy of Joseph as an outsider. She calls him a Hebrew. And I would imagine that this term was not used in a, um, affirming way, it was probably very derogatory. This Hebrew who's been promoted, he's now come in here and he's mocking us and he's taking advantage of the master's wife. But there are some things for us to notice. First off, it doesn't say if they believed her. And secondly, remember, they know Joseph and they know her. And they have been a witness to Joseph's integrity. They know his character. But they don't have much choice because why? They are slaves. It's hard for us to get this concept in the West, but there was no freedom. <laughs> the slave does what the master or the master's wife commands them to do. So verses 16 through 20 record Mrs. Potiphar now telling the story to Mr. Potiphar. 
And notice that the Bible tells us in the old King James, it says that his wrath, Potiphar's wrath was kindled. What does that mean? It means he got angry. It means he was fuming. He was not a happy camper. But it doesn't say that his wrath was kindled at Joseph. As I pointed out to you many times before, we are reading a summary. There's more to the story. You know, Potiphar's no fool. And he knows both parties involved. But he's got to do something to save face. And the penalty for this crime was death. And it's significant that Joseph was not put to death, but he was put in prison. And a prison sentence indicates that at the very least, Potiphar was not sure of his wife's version of the story. It indicates there's a lack of evidence. There's no real proof. There's no indication either from the scripture that Joseph attempted to defend himself. And this speaks volumes. You see, God is our defense. And through this, Joseph will learn to trust God even more. If indeed Joseph did remain silent before his accuser, accuser, we have an interesting precedent here. Have you ever heard someone say that they will plead the fifth? When they're saying that, they're making reference to our Constitution's Fifth Amendment. And that's the amendment that guards you against self-incrimination. Do you remember that Jesus remained silent before his accusers? Why did he remain silent before his accusers? The idea is that if someone is accused of a crime, they are innocent until proven guilty in a court. Have you ever heard that before? And as the accused, they are under no obligation to say anything in their defense. Basically, it's saying to the prosecution, you have this against me, prove it. But I will not help you with the words that I say. And again, we see the influence of Christian and biblical worldview upon our legal system in the West. Where did our legal system get these concepts from? They got it from Scripture. And to be clear, they got it from Christian Scripture. Outside of a culture that has been influenced by the Holy Word of God, this concept is unheard of. What do you mean remaining silent? (laughs) It's unheard of. And perhaps Joseph knew that Potiphar would have no choice but to take some kind of action. And as I stated, Potiphar would have to save face. He could not take the word of a slave over the word of his own wife. So off Joseph goes to prison. Prison for Joseph was no country club. I would call your attention to Psalm 105, verses 17 and 18. And here we find that Joseph's feet were hurt at the very least. And the word here for hurt is afflicted. It means to deal hardly with or harshly, to defile, browbeating, to depress. There was something that Joseph endured in prison, and we find record of it in the Psalms. 
So it's not like Joseph had an expensive pair of work boots <laughs> to protect his feet. And spend some time and meditate on the place where Joseph now finds himself. He went from being his father's number one man to a slave. And then he went from being a slave to running the entire state for Potiphar. Now, still a slave, but a pretty high-ranking slave, I would say. Especially when the scripture says that Potiphar didn't even know what was going on. It was in Joseph's hands. Now, he's done all of this only to wind up being a prisoner in an Egyptian jail for a crime he did not commit. Who does this sound like? Who was accused of crimes that he did not commit? Moving on to verses 21 through 23, we see Joseph being wrongly accused, judged, and punished. His brothers had turned on him. Now his master has turned on him. But what does the scripture say here? And I've already emphasized this earlier. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And he showed his favor on Joseph such that Joseph was soon running the entire prison, just, to, just as he had done at Potiphar's house, just as Potiphar's house had prospered under Joseph's hand. Now everything in the prison is going well under Joseph's direction. And the word tells us here that the keeper of the prison did not even check up on Joseph. Seeing a trend here, aren't we? Whatever Joseph did, the Lord who was with Joseph made it prosper. So we will end it here for this episode with a few parting thoughts. Friends, you must not be ruled by your circumstances. Perhaps God is doing something that you cannot even see, just like he was doing with Joseph. And he certainly was doing it in Joseph's case. Even if others think you're guilty or they've wrongly accused you, you should stay the course and keep the faith. God will be your defense and he will show the truth. He will show the truth of whatever's going on in due time. And just to be clear, <laughs> that may not be on this timeline. The truth may never be exposed until we reach the other side. But friends, God is not mocked. God is your defense, and God knows the facts of the matter. Just like he knew the facts of the matter with Joseph, and in due time, we're going to see that he exalts Joseph. So that said, Christians, I believe that we are in for some trying and dark times. If we speak God's truth to Caesar, we can expect the same punishment from the state that we see historically, and really we see it all around the world with our brothers and sisters as they are persecuted for the faith. On January 16th, 2022, Canadian preachers and teachers will be preaching and teaching on God's design for sexuality and marriage. And it is entirely possible that they will be charged with counseling the sexually confused to use conversion therapy. Indeed, simply offering Christian counseling services which stress the biblical view of gender is enough to be charged. So even if a preacher says something like, 
we offer counseling here at this church and we're going to lead you in the biblical view that could constitute advertising for conversion therapy. Preaching that you are what you are and were at birth is seen as believing in a myth. And Christians, we know that many of our non-Christian acquaintances, friends, family members, they've always thought that we believed in a myth. That's nothing new. What's new about this is that it's in the language of law now. See, now it's official. Now it's legal. So many pastors in the United States are preaching the same on the same subject on the same date to show our solidarity with the church in Canada. January 16th, 2022. There will be churches across the North American continent preaching on the subject of sexuality and God's design for marriage. So pray for them. And if you think this is the kind of a law that can never be passed in the United States because for whatever reason you might think we're Americans or whatever, <laughs> I strongly recommend that you reconsider your position. Don't think that it can't happen here. And do not think that we as a nation, the United States, are going to escape the judgment of God. We have thumbed our nose. We have told him we don't want him in the public square. And all he has to do is release us to our own devices, and you will see the destruction of Western culture. So for anyone in Canada who may be hearing this, we stand with you. But more importantly, the Lord is with you, just as he was with Joseph. The Lord's church will be victorious, and indeed, the Lord himself is already victorious. again for listening to the forge podcast and don't forget to leave a review with comments let me hear from you leave a voice message through the link i hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of god's word in daily living remember dear christian you are forgiven it is by grace that you've been saved through faith may you grow in christ in the study of the bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out, not only in you, but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged, encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in him.